And welcome back to Bengal Bites, a podcast about the Cincinnati Bengals from one fan's honest perspective. I'm your host, Derek. This is the Week 18 Recap, the game where the Cincinnati Bengals took on their arch nemesis, the Cleveland Browns in the Battle of Ohio Part 2, came out victorious for their first win in the AFC North, 31-14. This was a game that the Bengals were favored to win by 7 points, and they did not disappoint. They exceeded those expectations, covered the spread, if you're a betting person. But this was the Bengals' last game of this 2023 season, last time we might be seeing some of these players. So in this episode, we're going to break down what we saw in this game, some of the positives that we can take away from this game and going into the next season. Some of the other storylines, I won't necessarily say all the negatives, but we'll get into some of the details and some of the interesting tidbits that we saw in this game. And we might do a little bit of a season recap. We'll see how it goes. If you're brand new to this podcast, you can go back and check out episode zero or really any of the other previous episodes. But the basic idea was I wanted to give an outsider, unbiased fan perspective and kind of document and chronicle this Bengal season from my own perspective. There are a lot of other great podcasts and shows and media produced about the Bengals out there, but I felt like a lot of them are catered towards, you know, the hardcore Bengals fans, but they're telling the fans what they want to hear as opposed to the truth. So I've tried to tell you not what you want to hear necessarily, and that's obviously why this podcast isn't immensely popular. That's okay. For the people out there who want to hear some more realistic takes on the Bengals, this podcast is for you. So realistically speaking, this game was a win, but also that was the expectation because the Browns going into it were telling us they were going to rest all their starters. They did not play anybody of any value for them because the Browns are going to the playoffs, just like every other team in the AFC North, except for the Bengals, unfortunately. That's what kind of stings. We won't get too far into that, but every other team, the Ravens, the Browns, and the Steelers are going into the postseason, whereas the Bengals are not. Now, the Bengals still had the opportunity to end the season on the right foot, with a winning record. They're 8-8 eight eight going into this game. So if they won the game, they could at least say they were over 500, which is still an accomplishment in itself. That would be the third season in a row that the Bengals got a winning record, which they did. So, you know, that's a, a streak that Zach Taylor has going. It's not quite Mike Tomlin's 17 seasons in a row, but after two rough starts for Zach Taylor, at least he's got three winning seasons now, the cynics out there would, of course, look at this win in terms of the draft positioning for next season. And unfortunately, there's 18 teams that don't make the playoffs. There's 32 teams, 14 teams go in, 18 teams are out. Bengals are the last drafting team of all the teams that didn't make the playoffs. So, like, they're the, the they're going to be drafting 18th, basically. They couldn't, <laughs> if they had lost this game, they would have been drafting maybe 12th or 13th, you know, maybe four or five picks higher, which is valuable. You know, people trade a lot of resources to move up four or five picks early in the first round of the draft. So that's quite a valuable draft position that they gave up by winning this game. But given that the fact that it's the Browns, they're resting all their starters, Bengals really don't have anything left to play for except for some financial incentives. We'll get to that later. So the Bengals really, as a as an organization, they needed to win this game. But from a fan base perspective, it kind of would have been not that bad if they would have lost. 
But luckily, they won the game. That was it. Got it off to kind of a rough start. Both teams threw interceptions on their first drive of the game, and I was like, "Oh man, is, what kind of is this going to be like a totally embarrassing game for both teams where neither team really looks like they want to win the game?" But luckily, the Bengals settled down. They figured it out. They got up to a 24-0 lead in the first half, kind of cruised on in from there. That was what we expected to happen in this game. Luckily, it ended up happening the way that the Bengals fans, who turned out in mass, there was a sellout crowd at Paycor Stadium. Zach Taylor was very complimentary of the fans, as he always is. You know, he said he didn't know if he would necessarily be there. I wasn't at the game, by the way, because it was cold. It was raining. There was no way you were catching me at that game. But good job to all the – I felt like maybe it was a lot of Cleveland fans as well. You can't really tell because Cleveland has similar colors. But, like, when the Browns scored at the end of the game, there was a lot of dog whooping and hoof, hoof, hoof in Pecor Stadium. <laughs> like there's a lot of Browns fans there too. So whoever the fa- fans were at the game doesn't really matter. Paul Brown will gladly take their money, whether they're fans of the Browns or the Bengals or whoever. But if I was going to compare this game to anything, it was almost like watching WWE professional wrestling. It was obvious that, you know, they were playing hard. They were, you know, professional athletes out there, but it was kind of a gentlemanly game. It was the most kind of the nicest game of NFL football you're ever going to see. It's not going to go down in the history books of Bengals versus Browns as like one of the most intense, hard-hitting games you're ever going to find. Most of the time, it was kind of a gentleman's agreement of, okay, you know, we're going to run the plays. You can tackle us, but let's just nobody get hurt. Seemed like nobody was really interesting and putting their body on the line too much, and I don't blame them. It's been a long year. They're already in so much pain from all these other hits they've accumulated throughout this season. You know, they just want to run the clock out, get their stats or whatever they got to do to collect their paycheck and just go home healthy so they can recuperate and go on vacation. You know, I'm sure some of these guys have their plans already booked flights to some tropical location as soon as the season's over and they're able to escape. I totally understand that, but they did a good job of putting on a show for the fans. You know, as a professional, you still have some obligation to your customers to go out there and put on a show for the fans. That's why I say it's kind of like a WWE house show. It's not going to be the Monday Night Raw primetime A-list talent out there. You know, the Browns are putting out their second and third string players. Bengals, to their credit, played most of their starters for the majority of this game. We did see some of the second and third string players for the Bengals get in. Later in the fourth quarter, A.J. McCarron came in and was thrown to some of the back of the roster guys. But for the most part, the Bengals' starting offensive line, all their starting receivers, the Bengals' entire starting defense played for the entire majority of the game, first three quarters of the game. But Jay Feely, one of the commentators, said towards the end of the game, not at the beginning of the game, but towards the end of the game, he was like, yeah, this kind of feels like a preseason game. And that's what it was for the Cleveland Browns because they were operating more in a just kind of a play the game, standard, vanilla, basic, don't do anything. Because the Browns are going into the playoffs, so they have to you know, keep everything close to the vest. They don't want to give their opponents for next week, which is going to be the Houston Texans. The Browns don't want to give away anything on tape that would you know, help their opponents for them. So they're trying to keep everything just basic, not show off anything. But let's try to cover some of the positive highlights up front here. Bengals finish at 9-8, and eight, third season in a row with a winning record. That's positive. Joe Mixon 
For the first time all season, and the first time since week nine of last season, went for over 100 rushing yards in the game. Bengals have had the worst running game in the NFL all season. That's something that hopefully will have to change, although they don't seem really put off by it at all. They're just like, oh, yeah, we don't we don't really need to run. We're just going to pass. And if we can't pass, I guess we're going to lose. But in this game, finally, Joe Mixon got over 100 yards. And finally, there was some big holes for him to run through. The offensive line, you know, they were going up against backups, so that's what you would kind of expect. But Joe Mixon was able to get some space. He's not necessarily a shiftiest guy of creating things on his own, but when you open up a big gaping hole and he's able to see it, that's part of the problem with Joe Mixon is his vision is very poor. So there have been games where he's had openings to run through, but he decided, no, I'd rather just run straight into the back of one of my own players. But in this game, finally he figured out, oh, there's a wide open opening over here. He ran through it. He had his longest run of the season. He had a 44-yard run where he didn't quite get away for the touchdown. He got caught by the back of his shirt. That's what, you know, these guys, they all have their shirts hanging out loose out of the back of their jerseys, and you see them all the time get caught by the end of their shirt. You know, I would prefer the you keep the jersey tucked in so there's nothing to grab, but whatever. I'm not, you know, they. I think they like the, the loose feeling of the shirt so they can extend their arms and feel, like, more comfortable when they're running. But that's the trade-off. When you have your shirt hanging out, you get caught by the end. But otherwise, Joe Mixon, he had over 100 yards rushing, two touchdowns. He had one rushing, one receiving touchdown. His rushing touchdown was weird. It was another one of those vision things where even Dan Horde, the radio announcer for the Bengals, called it out. There was plenty of space at the goal line where Joe Mixon could have just completely walked in untouched by anybody if he had wanted to. But for some reason, instead, he like dove straight into two of the Cleveland Browns players. He still scored a touchdown, but it was just completely unnecessary. Like he didn't need to initiate the contact with the Browns players who were standing right at the goal. He could have gone the other direction, but for some reason, Joe Mixon was out for contact on that play. On Joe Mixon's second touchdown, the one he caught out of the flat, the Browns backup linebacker, he wasn't able to get over and make a tackle on Joe Mixon in open space. Joe Mixon brushed him off, walked into the end zone, and started doing the making it rain celebration in the end zone, tossing out dollar bills because with that second touchdown score in the game, Joe Mixon got to 12 touchdowns combined on the season, which triggered a bonus for him of $350,000. So a nice little bonus payday for Joe Mixon because of that touchdown. Hopefully he takes care of some of his offensive linemen and quarterbacks with that money. We also saw Jordan Battle from free safety get his first career interception in the game. Jeff Driscoll threw up a deep pass along the left sidelines. Jordan Battle read his eyes, got over, made a play, a nice toe tap, dragging the feet along the sidelines to get both feet in bounds, looking like a wide receiver out there. So nice hands, nice play by Jordan Battle. That's something that's been sorely lacking all season for the Bengals. Dax Hill, Jordan Battle, haven't made too many of those type of plays, and Dex Hill kind of had a rough game in the fourth quarter, gave up a couple touchdowns. But for Jordan Battle, something that we've wanted to see, he's been getting more and more playing time over Nick Scott. Nick Scott has not really played much after Jordan Battle took over. So Jordan Battle was looking good in the run game most of the time. Now he's starting to make plays in the passing game, so that's exciting to see him develop as a player. We also got to see my boy Andre Yosivash get a little more playing time, and he turned out two touchdown catches. 
multiple touchdown catches. I think that takes him to four touchdown catches on the season, four or five. He's had num- a number of touchdown catches, but good job by Andre getting scores, making good blocks. He was one of the better blocking receivers the Bengals had this season. He's a big, lanky kind of guy, but he's got strength, so he's able to get on those defensive backs and hold up his blocks. I would like to see Andre get a little bit stronger in the catch point. That's one of the things he mentioned in his postgame interview was there were a couple he, – he mentioned one, but there was a couple where – he dropped it, including on the touchdown where he was in the end zone. He caught the ball, but then the defender came over and swatted the ball out of his hands right away. It ended up counting as a touchdown because he had already kind of caught it and had possession. But there was another pass similar to that where he wasn't in the end zone. It ended up in an incomplete pass because he didn't hold on to the ball and secure the catch. And it's the few times where he just didn't wasn't able to secure the catch strong enough. So that's one thing Andre can work on is just getting better at getting his strong hands, strong arms. When the ball is in his hands, make sure he gets it. That's one of the things that Jamar Chase is so great at. It's one of his underrated qualities is when Jamar gets the ball in his hands, most of the time he's not letting it go. Nobody's ripping the ball out of Jamar Chase's hands. He is quite the opposite. He takes it away from everybody else. We also saw Charlie Jones, the other rookie wide receiver, make a couple plays on offense in this game. He got a Deep pass down the seam where he was one-on-one with the defensive back, beat him over the middle, no safety help. He split the safeties, and Jake Browning hit him with the pass up the seam. Good completion to Charlie Jones. So he had a couple other passes where he picked up some first downs on catch and runs in the flat, short passes. So good to see Charlie Jones at least getting involved in the offense a little bit more. Similarly, Chase Brown, the rookie running back, once Joe Mixon got his 115 or so yards. We got a little bit more Chase Brown, and he showed off what he can do in terms of quickness, speed. He was making the defenders miss. He's not the biggest guy, obviously, so I don't know how well he's going to be able to hold up in the pass blocking game. I don't know if Chase Brown can be like an every down kind of back, but for that change of pace, third down, he's obviously way more talented than Travion Williams. I think if, you know, the one thing Travion had over Chase Brown was the pass blocking that they wanted to count on Travion at third down, but they ended up replacing him most of the time, Travion, with Drew Sample. Drew Sample ended up kind of being the third down blocking option, which doesn't really say that much about the Bengals' offense because obviously Drew Sample isn't that explosive. He can't do that much. When he does get the ball in his hands, he was more kind of like a fullback extra offensive lineman that the Bengals unfortunately had to rely on because their offensive line wasn't always that good this year. And just as a rookie class overall, I would say it was a, as a whole, is a positive outcome for this rookie class because all of them were able to play and contribute in meaningful, important ways. Some had more success than others, obviously, but the fact that they got all of them in to play, even DJ Ivy, unfortunately, he, you know, had the knee injury. He's on injured reserve now. But everybody, including him, got playing time, got experience, was able to contribute. And that's much better than we can say for a lot of Bengals draft classes in previous history. Some of these guys got injured in training camp and didn't even play a single snap or were just so bad they were just complete busts and sat on the bench all season and are continuing to sit on the bench all season. (laughs) But, you know, there's been a lot worse than even though we didn't have – that's the thing is – They didn't draft at the top of the drafts. They didn't get the top 
premier talent. They didn't get Joe Burrow. They didn't get Jamar Chase because they were in the Super Bowl. They were in the AFC Championship. So when you're in that successful position during the season, you don't get the top number one blue chip prospects. So you had to make do with, you know, maybe a little bit less talented guys, but they got something out of them. They made the best out of the talent that they got. So that was a good job by the Bengals player personnel department drafting the right players this year. Hopefully that can continue coming into this draft and they need to kind of restock the cupboard. Not to say the cupboard's bare, but we see some of these players are getting towards the end of their careers, getting to the ends of the contract. They may be moving on, re reshuffling the team. Every team is different every year. This game against the Browns was kind of the last hurrah, one last you know, get the band back together one last time. Thanks for the memories. Let's play all the old hits and kind of go out on a high note together. And that's what the Bengals defensive line did. Trey Hendrickson and BJ Hill split a sack. So Trey Hendrickson got to 17 and a half sacks for the season. That's a new career record for Trey Hendrickson. He's also going to the Pro Bowl, I think, for the third straight year, along with Jamar Chase, third straight Pro Bowl. Sam Hubbard also got a sack in this game. So the local product, Sam Hubbard, he's supposed to have surgery on Wednesday, he told Dave Lapham after the game. He had a high ankle sprain, and Sam Hubbard played through that for the last seven games of the season. He was only out for one game, and that's usually a multi-week injury that can be very painful. So Sam Hubbard, I got to give him and all the other players credit, including Jamar Chase and everybody else who's playing through injury. These players are not 100%. They don't have anything to play for except for the pride and doing it for the fan base. A couple of the other positives I can think of from this game were, number one, the refs didn't call a lot of flags for the most part. The Browns, I mean, they were jumping off sides. Like the Bengals did a good job of using hard counts, using cadences when they were like backed up against their own one yard line to get the Browns to jump off sides. You could kind of tell the Browns were a little bit sloppy. Maybe some of their players didn't have that much playing experience. So that was kind of the, the maybe the jitters or whatever it was about the Browns. They were they had like 12 guys on the field at one point on defense. There was just a bunch of guys like standing around and looking at each other like, who are you supposed to be? I told you, you're supposed to be up. You know, so total confusion on the Browns for some of these plays. Bengals, on the other hand, did a great job of not getting a lot of penalties. Only one turnover for the Bengals in this game, Jake Browning had a ball tipped off Tyler Boyd's hands that went for an interception. But for the most part, Jake Browning did a good job of not putting the ball into harm's way. Now, I don't know if you want to call this a positive, but there's a, a, a storyline in the game, we'll call it Jake Browning's girlfriend. We There was a shot after one of the touchdowns. They go up and they show this woman in the stands celebrating with a bunch of people in the luxury box and she's wearing this skin-tight white bodysuit, and she's got a fluffy orange hat on, and it's like, okay, it's kind of weird. It's not Halloween or something. Like, why is this lady wearing this outfit? And then they zoom in closer, and she's got a big orange number six on her chest. So it's obviously Jake Browning's girlfriend up in the stands, celebrating and she's cashing in on her 15 minutes of fame it's the last game of the season last time jake browning is going to be relevant for a long time so she's got to make sure that she gets the cameras on her get a little attention get her name out there for whatever reason i don't know if she's got a business she's working on or a modeling crew whatever it is but 
Good job, Jake Bryan's girlfriend, getting her 15 minutes of fame. Can't hate on her. You go, girl. One of the other interesting things, tidbits from this game was, not only was this the first time that both the Browns and Bengals finished with a winning record in the same season since 1988, but it was the first time a division in the NFL had all teams with a winning record in the Super Bowl era and the first division in the NFL all the way back to 1935 before they even had a Super Bowl. Nearly 90 years since all four teams in a division all were over 500. Amazing achievement. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Bengals were the last place team in the division and won't be going to the playoffs as we know. Now this game was going to be the last game for some of the Bengals players most notably and most likely probably for Tyler Boyd. Seems like after the game, he was kind of accepting and acknowledging the fact that this was probably going to be the end of his Bengals career. And I would have liked to have seen Tyler had a better game in his last game as a Bengal. He had, you know, the tip pass that got intercepted. He missed a block on a Chase Brown run where if he would have blocked anybody, it could have really, you know, popped off for a big run. You know, that's the kind of thing that doesn't go down in the stat sheet. Uh, you know, you don't see, you know, miss block as a statistic. But that was the kind of play that Tyler Boyd has just not been making this season when the Bengals really needed somebody to make that block and bust off a big run. They weren't able to get it done. But Tyler also had a wide open, big catch. It was kind of a busted coverage where the Browns jumped off sides, so the Bengals had a free play. It was going to be either a penalty on the Browns or whatever. Tyler Boyd was running wide open down the middle of the field, and for whatever reason, Jake Browning, instead of throwing it up, like lofting it like a normal throw, he tried to throw like a bullet pass on a line at Tyler Boyd. And so it kind of, I guess, caught Tyler Boyd by surprise. He stopped, and he had to come back a little bit, and I think he could see the Browns linebacker coming straight at him, running right at him. And it kind of, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you should catch it. But when there's a guy who's like 250 pounds running full speed straight at you <laughs> and you can see him like right coming right in your face, it's, you know, it's a little bit hard to keep your concentration in the moment. So I totally get it. But it's just one of those passes where if he could have turned upfield and like run underneath the ball, he probably wouldn't have scored. Like, honestly, he's probably not fast enough to score a touchdown, but he would have at least had a better chance of catching it over his shoulder than having to catch it and worry about getting blown up in his last game of his Bengals career. But unfortunately, he dropped it and it didn't have a big didn't have a big play to go out in the last game of his Bengals career like we wanted to see. Jake Browning, I mean, he played pretty well in this game. He had three touchdowns, one interception. 75% completions. He was 18 of 24, but he only threw for like 150 yards. It's not like he was really airing it out, throwing it all over the field, lasers down, dropping bombs all over the place. It was, you know, the screen passes, the passes out to the flat, short passes. He had a nice back shoulder fade to Andre Yosevash, just like he did in the preseason. That's why it kind of reminded me of a preseason game. Those were the type of passes he was hitting against the commanders, I think it was. Yeah, not a lot of deep passing as we haven't really seen much of this Bengals offense all year. They haven't really been very explosive at all. 
Now on the other side, on defense, the Bengals have been the worst defenses in the league in terms of giving up explosive big plays. I think they lead the league. And there were a couple plays in the end of this game, fourth quarter. Dax Hill, he was still playing this game for whatever reason. I don't know if they don't have any other backup free safeties they want to get a look at. But Dax Hill was still playing deep into the end of this game. And he got beat on a couple touchdown passes. They had a fourth and short against the Browns. Jeff Driscoll threw it up to David Bell on both these touchdowns. Dex Hill was just taking bad angles. He had, you know, unlike Jordan Battle, who took a good angle to make an interception on the Browns' first drive, Dex Hill coming over, he tried to undercut it, but he ended up undercutting himself. Ball went over his head into the Browns' receiver. Like, Dex Hill came over, and basically kind of how he took out his own player against the Steelers, Dax Hill came over, took out DJ Turner again. They both went up for the ball, kind of hit each other, and the ball went into the Browns receiver's hands for a touchdown. Then there was a similar play along the other sideline. Sidney Jones came in, and he was getting burnt in this game, but Sidney Jones was playing on the Bengals' left, Browns' right sideline. Pass deep. Dax Hill is supposed to come over for safety help. Again, takes a bad angle. This time he goes too deep, misses the receiver again, Flies out of bounds, doesn't make the tackle. Again, the Browns receiver walks in for a touchdown. So these two plays, one where Dax Hill came too shallow, the other time he went too deep. But both plays, he completely missed the ball and the receiver and gave up two touchdowns. Not good plays by Dax Hill. The Bengals had a shutout going up into those two touchdowns and then kind of unraveled from there. But neither team really cared what happened at that point. Like, the Browns, I'm sure, were gladly letting the Bengals win because they're already going to the playoffs. It didn't really matter whether they won their game against the Bengals at all. It didn't make any difference to them. So really, when you think about it from a competitive aspect, if the Bengals won the game, that means they get worse draft picks. So from the Browns' perspective, they're going to have to play against the Bengals. They would much rather have the worse draft picks on the opposing team when they have to play the Bengals again. So it's like, oh, well, if we lose this game, then that means the Bengals won't be as good next year. So it's better for the Browns to actually lose this game anyway. After the game, in the interview with Jake Browning, he was, again, very open and honest and kind of emotional, showing that you know he was very appreciative of Zach Taylor for sticking with him, giving him the chance to show what he can do and proving to people that he can be a winning quarterback in the NFL. So going forward, he's kind of secured himself a career in the NFL, either as a starter or a backup. He said he feels like he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL, but I think realistically, you know, maybe top 50. We'll give him, I don't know, about 32, because top 32 quarterback wouldn't be making some of these decisions that Jake Browning was making. He took a sack in this game again. A horrible sack where it's like you look at it even from all angles in slow motion. I couldn't figure out what was going through Jake Browning's mind. He was scrambling out to the right. He totally should have just thrown the ball away. Again, I'm like screaming, throw the ball away, throw it away. For At the last second, again, he looks like he wanted to throw it across deep over the middle of the field to Jamar Chase. But there was like two guys standing right next to Jamar Chase. So, you know, it clicked in his brain like, oh, okay, I shouldn't throw it there because this is about to be an interception. So instead of throwing it away, he just tucked the ball and took a 12-yard sack, which is ridiculous too. Like he was standing on the sidelines. All he had to do was throw it away when he took a sack. So decisions like that are why Jake Browning is a backup quarterback, not a starter. 
but he's going to be back. We know he's going to be the, the backup for Joe Burrow going forward, at least next season. The thing about Jake Browning that's interesting is he's an exclusive rights free agent, meaning that he does not have any option to negotiate or try to get another deal at a better contract rate with another team. The Bengals are the exclusive team who have the ability to offer him a league minimum contract for one year next year. And his only option is to play for the Bengals or don't play at all because he hasn't accumulated enough accrued years of service, of playing time, because he's spent so much time on the practice squad. He wasn't up on the active roster getting actual time on active roster. So he doesn't have an ability to kind of decide where he wants to go. The Bengals have control over him at a low rate. It's kind of a thing that the NFL had and the Players Association, for whatever reason, have agreed on, where teams are able to keep players who are still kind of relatively young under contract at a lower rate to not let them just freely sign with other teams. It's basically limiting the free market and keeping their salaries artificially low. Jake Browning, if he were able to sign with another team, he could sign a contract worth millions of dollars this offseason for sure. But unfortunately, he's going to have to come back for whatever the Bengals offer him. They mentioned on the telecast, hopefully the Bengals will do the right thing. James Lofton was saying, you know, the Bengals should do the right thing and give him a two-year, a multiple-year contract, you know, for a few million dollars. Well, we'll see. I don't really know how generous the Bengals are going to be. That would be nice if they did, of course, but, you know, the Bengals, the way they do business, have not been overly generous in the past, let's say, but we'll see. Along those similar lines, everybody's worried about T. Higgins and his contract situation. I have been assuming this entire time that T. Higgins was going to get franchise tagged and probably be back at a very high salary next year. He's not going to be mad about that, just like A.J. Green and Jesse Bates and all the other star players that Bengals have franchised in the past. They're not mad because when you get franchise tagged, that means you get the average of the top five players at your position in the NFL you get that average rate for your salary for that year. So you're going to get paid a lot of money, even if you don't get a long-term contract that you're looking for. What the Bengals could do is they tag him, and then if another team comes in and makes them an offer that they can't refuse, they want to trade for T. Higgins, maybe the Bengals would consider it. I don't think they want to do that, but you know you got to keep all your options open. And as great as T. Higgins has been, he made an amazing play against the Vikings, scoring the over-the-back touchdown and all that kind of stuff. Kind of a little bit of a down year for T. Higgins. Wasn't quite as consistent as we would have liked, and he missed some games because of some injuries. He had fractured ribs, hamstring issue. Wasn't always 100%. So if the Bengals got some kind of crazy deal, like how the Panthers, you know, they wanted to trade like their whole team away for that number one draft pick last year. If somebody comes in with like, betting the whole farm they want to trade for T. Higgins, the Bengals would probably be listening. So we're going to have to see what happens with that. But that's kind of putting the cart before the horse, getting ahead of ourselves. As Joe Burrow said in his end-of-season interview, all these questions about free agency and who are they going to sign and how are they going to build the roster and get ready for next year and off-season and draft and all that kind of stuff, all those questions will answer themselves with time. It's a little bit unnecessary to waste your time, you know, 
going through all these simulations and permutations like this playoff odds simulator. Oh, are the Bengals going to make it, you know, after week 12, after week 13, they're, you know, 57% if they win, 62% and blah, blah, blah. Just let it all play out. Watch the games, you know, go on with the rest of your life because this none of this stuff is really that important that we need to analyze it so critically. I say that as I'm recording this podcast about the Cincinnati Bengals and hyper hypercritically evaluating everything about the team. But unfortunately, this is the end of this Bengals season. The players are going to go through all their exit interviews, clean out their lockers, say their goodbyes, and then head out on vacation. This podcast is going to be taking a little bit of vacation since the season's over. You know, I'm going to keep watching the rest of the games, but I won't record any podcasts about them unless something crazy happens in the offseason. I'll probably come back with an episode about the draft that's coming up in a few months, but you know, I got to take a little time to recharge the batteries, think about what I want to do for the next upcoming season, how I can make this podcast better. Maybe I can come up with some new ideas. If you have any ideas, let me know. Let me know in the comments how I can improve. I was thinking about maybe doing like an end of the year season recap, summarize everything, give out awards and all that kind of stuff. But that's really kind of beating a dead horse, milking it too much. The awards are Jamar Chase was the offensive MVP. Trey Hendrickson was the defensive MVP. They didn't live up to expectations at a team. They didn't make the playoffs, didn't win the AFC North. So overall, it was kind of a disappointing year, but still they won more than they lost. We had some moments in there that were fun. That Jacksonville game on Monday Night Football, the game against the Bills, the game against the Rams on primetime, you know, those are all fun moments that we can remember and take with us going into this offseason. I won't necessarily name any rookie of the year. I think they all contributed, like I said, to varying degrees. But as a class, this was one of the best rookie classes that the Bengals have had overall in general. So drafting-wise, I'm optimistic about this upcoming draft. The scouts, the coaches, they've all done a good job. And Zach Taylor mentioned that he expects all of his staff to be back for next season. Now, there was a lot of talk about you know the assistants getting new head coaching opportunities when they were going to the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship. Since they're kind of having a down year, those opportunities have dried up a little bit for Coach Lou Anaromo. Brian Callahan is getting mentioned as a possible candidate for the Carolina Panthers job. He's coming in for an interview for them. We'll see, but Zach Taylor, there's most likely not going to be a lot of changes in the coaching staff and the personnel. So there's going to be a few players coming and going, but this team will probably look pretty similar next year for better or worse. We're going to have to see how that turns out. But for now, that's going to be a wrap on Season 1 of Bengal Bites. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. If you've been listening all this time and you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you, as always, with a hoo day. And stay hungry for more Bengal Bites. Mm-hmm.